Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Care Patrol of Connecticut in New York is your number one partner for securing safe senior living options and navigating the senior care continuum. Their services are at no cost to you, and they guide you through the entire process. Visit www.carepatrolct.com for details. And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. You know that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This is a subject that we don't just cover in October. You know, we cover this all year long. But, but nonetheless, because there is a special focus on it, I really wanted our next guest to come back on the show. He hasn't visited us in a while. Uh, Judge Thomas Collin is retired from the family court bench in Connecticut, where he was recognized even then as one of our finest judges. He is now recognized as one of our finest mediators and advocates. He went back into private practice. He handles matters statewide. In 2018, that's when he retired from the bench. But before that, as the family court judge, he presided over the court docket. He has heard the most complex financial matters, the most complex visitation, child custody matters. Uh, he is truly an expert. 203-333-9422, Judge Thomas Collin. Welcome back to the Lisa Wexa Show today. Hello. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is such a pleasure. It really is. And I guess I, what I want to do is get right into it in I understand from your background that, tell me, what is your, when you were a family court judge, did you preside over matters that directly involved domestic violence? Yes, I, I did it in a couple of capacities. One, uh, I presided in criminal court over the domestic violence docket. Uh, I presided in the family court over the entire family court docket. And I also uh, spent some time presiding over jury trials in domestic violence type cases. So we have, do we still have a domestic violence criminal docket, a special category of criminal acts? Technically, yes. There, there is a dedicated domestic violence docket in every criminal court in the state of Connecticut, although it, it, it's handled somewhat differently. It, courthouse to courthouse, uh, and it certainly is different than when I was over there, uh, and I think budgetary restrictions have had an impact as well. So at the same time that you were presiding over criminal matters, were you also presiding over the divorce, sometimes 
of the person involved in the criminal matter? Yes. I, I, I had a good opportunity when I was in the Stanford courthouse with the assistance of the judicial branch to simultaneously preside uh, over the family court where I was the presiding judge. I was in charge of the docket, but also I was the presiding judge over the domestic violence criminal docket. And that was very helpful because it gave me a chance to make sure that I knew what was going on in both places, the civil court, the family court, as well as the criminal court, so that orders were consistent. I was familiar with the people, the families involved, etc. And do we still do that? Do we still have the same person presiding over the left and right hand very often? Of So, for example, let's say a police officer will come to somebody's house because there's a report of domestic violence. That goes into a criminal category. But in the meantime, there's a divorce pending maybe largely as a result or one of the reasons is because of what's going on in the house. Do we still have the same person who knows left and right hand? Generally, no. In most places, judges are assigned either to the criminal side or to the family court side, and they don't usually branch uh, both aspects. I just had this unique opportunity to do so with some really good um, superior court judges in Stanford that gave me a chance to do that, and I thought it was effective. But as a general rule, I would say no. They're they're generally kept separate. Should they be, Judge Collins? Well, I can only talk about my own experience, and I thought it was really helpful to make sure that the criminal court orders and the family court orders mirrored each other so there was no confusion, that the family and law enforcement knew what was and what was not permitted. And uh, I think it'd be very helpful if the same judge handled both sides, family and criminal. On the other hand, I know what the caseload and dockets are in some of these courthouses, and it just may not be practical uh, from a day-to-day management standpoint. But to answer your question, I'd say yes. So we're chatting with Judge Thomas Collin, 203-333-9422. Judge Collin, now that you're back in private practice, I have a question for you, and it's a little bit of an ethical but also a legal practitioner question. When you take on a divorce, number one, are there signs that, people should be looking for that you look for to see whether or not there is domestic violence going on? And then number two, if there are, what do you do about that? Uh, Well, the answer is yes. I mean, there are a number of signs that uh, can be picked up on in the very first meeting with an individual, just how they present themselves, their demeanor, their comfort level, as well as what they say the substance of the words. So if if I'm hearing things that lead me to conclude there's physical violence in the family or coercive control in the family, which is not necessarily physical but can be just as harmful, and I hear those things, I can pick on them and and take appropriate safety precautions through family, friends, law enforcement, other area service providers. What if your client is the one that is perpetrating the violence? Yeah, that's a great question. And th- th- there's always a little bit of ethical dilemma because on the one hand, the attorney is required by law to keep confidential and private all communications, discussions under the attorney-client privilege. On the other hand, though, uh, the lawyer is allowed under the rules of professional ethics to 
to reveal confidential information if the lawyer reasonably believes it's necessary to prevent the client from committing a crime that may result in bodily harm or death. So uh, if I represent someone who uh, tells me they are about to commit a crime that may result in bodily harm and death, I am obligated by law under the rules of ethics to disclose that. Has that ever happened to you, Judge Collin? Uh, as I think back, uh, I do not recall, fortunately, a situation where, where it rose to the level where I had to uh, effectuate that rule, breach the client confidence to prevent a crime. So what if it's something like this? We're chatting with Judge Thomas Collin. What if it's something like this? In the, in the privacy of getting to know your client and in his way of thinking that everything he says to you is confidential anyway and just venting, he'll say something like, and you know, I took her phone. I've had it with her. I've had it with her spending. I've had it with everything. I decided to take her phone, and I canceled the credit cards. She's got no access to money. Let's say you hear something like that. It's not going to kill her, but it's a bit of coercive control. What do you do? Yeah, so that that has happened, Mm -hmm. Um, unlike the prior question. And what I routinely do in those cases uh, as a general rule is to counsel that client to not do any of that. First of all, if you're taking her phone and you're now going to be privy to private communications by either using a password you know or you guess, that's illegal. So you're committing a crime right there. Number two, I try to counsel the client that the act of doing that in and of itself is harmful to your case because it is evidence, some might argue, of coercive control, of micromanagement, manipulation, stalking-type behavior, um, so I would I would tell that client and have told clients like that, don't do it, stop it, give the phone back. That's not how we're going to handle this case. Have you ever fired a client? Yes. All right, Judge Collin, we've got somebody, Emily from Riverside, with a question. You're on the air with retired family court judge, very distinguished jurist in our state, Judge Thomas Collin. Go ahead, please, Emily. Hi, thank you. Um, thank you so much for joining. And Lisa, thank you so much for um, how thoughtfully you're pursuing, you know, the questions around this really tough topic. Um, you know, Judge, I wanted to, uh, um, I'm calling you Judge, uh, you know, out of uh, <laughs> habit. Um, I, I think it'd be great for everyone to hear uh, a couple things. One is about um, Jennifer's Law and how in private practice you're seeing it um applied, I think, you know, we, we as a state can be very proud that the law was passed, um, not as proud um, about how it's been implemented, really challenging getting the courts on board. Um, I think you highlighted, you know, some of the, 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 the challenges, and this goes to my second point, which is, you know, there's a, and Lisa, you touched on this, there's a, a huge gap in, you know, that, that crime crime fraud exception, you know, that you noted and the, the facts of the matter of, of course of control. And, you know, what, what would need to be in place for you, you know, Tom Collins as a private practice lawyer to do more when that individual is sitting in your office and talks about the phone and the, and the financial, you know, and I know, Lisa knows, all of us know, that is a clear signal, coercive control and abuse. 
but you're limited in what you can do in that scenario. What would need to be in place so that you can do more to help the other side of that? Thank you, Emily. Thank you for that mm-hmm. question. Tom, what do you think? That's a great that's a great question. I'll take the second piece first. So, you know, Jennifer's law is still fairly new. My, if my recollection is correct, it came around in 2021, give or take. So it's still in its relative infancy. But it may be worth time to now consider revising or at least looking at revising the rules of professional ethics to broaden circumstances under which a lawyer is required to disclose certain things and not just limit it to what I said earlier, uh, to prevent a, a crime that's likely to result in death or bodily harm. In other words, take another fresh look at the rules of ethics in the context of the the broader definition of domestic violence that's set forth in Jennifer's Law. That's pretty brilliant. You know, you're the former, I think I read in your bio, Tom Collin, that you're the former leader of the matrimonial bar, right? Isn't that something that you did? I don't know. That may be overstating it. I mean, I I led a number of organizations that were uh, uh, (laughs) focused on family law. Uh, That's true. Yeah, you did. So, I mean, that's typically where this kind of thing comes from. Uh, A a little concrete working group and a bar association committee makes a recommendation to the larger bar association, which then goes to the legislature and writes a draft and lobbies for a change. But the rules of professional conduct, they are developed by the bar itself. Is that right, Judge Collins? They're developed by the bar in connection with the judges of the Superior Court. Okay. Jennifer's law was focused on changing the statutes that mm-hmm. govern restraining orders, family court cases, criminal court cases, and has done a lot of good. But this really good question opens up the possibility that maybe we should think more broadly and look at the rules of professional conduct. Because this way lawyers can know that they have more leeway and they can do things without being slapped, grieved, sued for malpractice, the whole nine yards, right? Precisely, precisely, precisely. yes. Okay, Judge Collins, stay with us. We have more people who want to chat with you. We're talking with retired family court judge, very distinguished practitioner in family law, Tom Collins. We'll be right back, 203-333-9422. If you're on on hold, stay on hold. We'll get to you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome back. We're chatting with the Honorable Thomas Collin, retired family court judge. Uh, Tom, welcome back to the show. Sari from Hartford has been holding. Sari, what is your question for the judge? Oh, um, good morning. Um, 
Judge um, Collins. Yes, my name is Shari Williams. Um, I my question for you today um, that I have always wanted answers to. Um, okay, for instance, there was um, a ban on testimonial from clinicians and um, police report from testifying in court. And um, this ban was put on by a GAL. And the judge asked for um, what sanctions or what um, would my lawyer have chosen to in order to lift that ban so that um, those people were able to testify on behalf of um, my son. I don't know if you understand that question at all or if it makes any sense. Thank you, Sherry. Well, I, I, go ahead, Tom. Yeah. No, I, 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 good morning. Uh, I think I understand it. It sounds like in, in your case uh, there was a court order perhaps restricting who could and could not testify, namely clinicians and police officers, and that would be a rather uh, unusual order restricting what witnesses can testify. So I would I would really need to know the circumstances surrounding how that could come into play, because as I said, that would be really unusual for a court without a really good reason to preclude certain people from testifying. Yes, thank you. Um, that, that, that was unusual to me. Everyone that I speak to said that it's, it's, it's very strange that um, the judge didn't allow it. That's why I I know that my case has been a circus and it's been um, at the detriment of my son. He's just been suffering through, because of all this. And um, I don't know. I, I, I just wish I could find the right um, representation to battle this thing. But um, yeah, I, I'm glad that I think, I feel like your answer was a, more than enough for me to know that it was just nonsense. Thank you, Sherry. I'm sorry for Thank what you. you're going through. Thank you. You know, uh, Tom, it's, uh, I think your answer was right because I was hearing Sherry and I was thinking, as a judge myself, I like to hear testimony from everybody. Do you know what I mean? Like, my, it's just generally speaking my attitude. You know, let me, let me hear from everybody. I feel like I can evaluate credibility pretty well and let me just hear. Was, your, was that your attitude, too, as a judge? Yeah. I mean, as a general rule, general rule, you're exactly right, Lisa. When you have to make these decisions, important family decisions, you want to have as much useful information as you can. So limiting witnesses from testifying uh, can happen sometimes. For example, maybe the clinician that was supposed to testify in that case couldn't do so because there was a doctor-patient privilege or some other reason that may have prevented it. Um, I don't know. But but as a general rule, yes, the more useful information the court can get to make the best decision, the better. We'll, we'll take one more phone call. Betsy from Greenwich is on. Betsy, you're on the air with the retired Judge Tom Collins. Thank you so much, both of you. Uh, I'm Betsy Keller. I live in Greenwich. I'm the founder and director of Connecticut Protective Moms. I founded this four years ago. As I had been stuck in the family court system, it's been over 12 
and a half years now. And along the way, I collected names of mothers, emails, text, emails. And we now have over 500 women who are domestic abuse victims stuck in the Connecticut family court system anywhere from just starting on, I have a few moms going on 15 years, still, still cases being continued. Betsy, Betsy, I only have a few minutes with the judge. I can appreciate that. Quick question, question, please. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, thank you. My question is, I surveyed our moms when I started, and 85% of them told us back that their lawyer specifically told them not to talk about domestic abuse when they entered the courtroom in a high-conflict hearing trial situation. And I'm wondering what the undercurrent is now with Jennifer's Law and a little bit more awareness. Um, you know, That's I a good question. That's that. a really good question, Betsy. I, and Tom, she's right. The statistics and data show that women, there's a national survey that shows that women tend to be punished in terms of the outcome of their divorce if they bring up domestic violence. It becomes a he said, she said spitting contest and the impression is the judge doesn't want to hear it. What do you have to say to that? Well, that's just plain wrong. I mean, if that's what the statistics show and, and that's they what's do. happening, that's that's unfortunate. That That's not right. And that should not have happened. Because if there's domestic violence in, in a family, uh, I can't think of anything more important to bring to the attention of the court than that. Because that affects all aspects of the relationship, that people's lives are at stake. So that's very disheartening to hear that. Um, and I'm sorry that that, that that was the case. I will say that the, the, the Jennifer's Law, at least from what I'm, uh, I've seen, has has really done a good job of, of shining a light, at least better than it sounds like it was, on domestic violence. So, for example, over in the Stanford courthouse, Unlike when I was a judge there, they now have, uh, at some point in time, seven different judges hearing family court cases, which is a huge number compared to the old days. They have more people there uh, working as family services counselors. They screen cases. This is throughout the state. They screen family cases. They triage them, to use my, my lingo, much earlier on than they used to in the old days. And now they have streamlined filing processes so people who need restraining orders can do it electronically. They don't have to walk into a building in a courthouse if they can't or don't feel comfortable doing it. So I think we're on the right track. Uh, Certainly it's not perfect. Um, I'm certain there there are probably cases that could be handled better. But I think um, at least it's moving in the right direction. That's good to know. That's really good to know. We're chatting with Tom Collin. And Tom... uh, and I do want to just put another point on this. I'm surprised that you don't know that all of this data has come out that shows that women are disproportionately punished if they bring up domestic violence. I'm just surprised you didn't know that because it's it's true. <laughs> you know, it's just, it was astonishing to me, Tom, when I first read it myself, that it shows that if they bring it up, they tend to have a worse outcome than if they don't bring it up. Yeah, that, I, I'd lo- I, I would love to read that study. I mean, I can only speak from my own personal experience when I was the judge, and I, and I, I found that in a particular case, domestic violence had happened, or I was the criminal court judge sentencing a defendant uh, in a domestic violence case. Uh, I can tell you in those cases that I was involved in, uh, I was not punishing the victim. That wouldn't be right. 
So I have so, one more thing to ask you. And sure. this, is a, this is just a very honest thing. If you represent a woman and she is a victim of domestic violence, uh, do you have faith that a restraining order can really protect her? Or do you sometimes quietly tell her that you don't want to hear about it, see no evil, speak no evil, but she has to do something else? Uh, no, I would never tell someone that and never have. Uh, if somebody uh, needs a restraining order, they meet the requirements of the law, uh, I will tell them to get it. Uh, I would never say to them, no, you don't want to do that. See no evil, speak no evil. No, I, I don't mean that. Said. What I mean is, yeah. no, that I'm, yeah. I'm, I meant it wrong and we're going to run out of time. What I meant by that is having gotten the restraining order, sometimes do you think that that's not enough to protect her? That's what I meant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm sorry for misunderstanding that because a restraining order at the end of the day is a piece of paper in the possession of law enforcement. But we have all seen those unfortunate cases where even that important piece of paper doesn't always mean that the assailant will follow the rules and follow the law. So there are additional steps we will tell people to take to protect themselves over and above the restraining order itself. Tom Collin, thank you for joining us. We have to have you back again. It can't be that much time in between coming back on the show. We very much appreciate your work. The last name is C-O-L-I-N. I know that you're in private practice. People can Google you if they need you. Thomas Collin, retired judge, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Lisa. It was a pleasure. Me too. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexter Show. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 